Hey, here we are. Before we dive right in, let me quickly tell you about a very worthy cause that truly warrants your attention. You're probably familiar with the Make-A-Wish Foundation, which helps fulfill the wishes of children with critical illnesses. It's a fantastic charitable organization with an impeccable track record for over 40 years now. Well, my friend and an occasional cohort on this show, Andy Rickles, is doing something spectacular. Last year, Andy took part in the Make-A-Wish Alabama Trailblaze Challenge. Through sponsors like you, he raised $2,500 for Make-A-Wish and hiked 26.3 miles along the Penhody Trail at the southern end of the Appalachian Mountains. Well, get this. This year, and this is one of the many reasons why I love Andy so much, he's stepping up his game. Once again, that's, that's so Andy. Becoming what they call a wish hero. That means he has pledged to raise $5,000 this time around. He's doing two hikes this time for a total of 54.6 miles Folks, if you don't do it for the kids, do it for Andy. He needs the exercise. But please help him out. A link to where you can donate will be in the show's description. Hey, just give five bucks. You don't have to mortgage the house or anything. Just give a, a little. It's a it's for a terrific cause that I personally endorse here and want to spread the word. Don't forget to do that. Help make a wish come true for a child who really could use it. Okay, now on with the show. You're listening to Zen Sandwich, a podcast for the independent mind and anyone who embraces life despite its absurdities. Join former attorney and professor turned Japanese papermaker Mark Reed each week as he talks with creative, inspiring, and influential people, or as he shares his own research to help make your world a little better today than it was yesterday. Well, have I got a story, several stories, actually, uh, for you today. Um, Ian McLean is an acclaimed business leader who has operated across four continents and is the author of the book TJ's War, which we'll discuss in a bit. Earlier in his career, or careers, I should say, he was an officer and a pilot in the RAF. Uh, that's the Royal Air Force, if you're an American and don't know what that is, before running his own multi-million dollar or pound retail business. He then made quite the pivot studying and specializing in AI before it was all the rage to do so. And yet again, he made another pivot, helping consulting to transform and transition blue chip companies like Nissan, British Airways. Uh, the book I mentioned, TJ's War, is his first book in which the research took nearly 40 years to complete. He joins me now uh, just south of London. Uh, welcome to the program, Ian McLean. Glad to be here. Nice to meet you, Mark. Nice to meet you. Over four decades of your uh, career life, if you had to say there's a preeminent value or a critical starting point, whether that's in building a business or in one's personal life, I know you said on another program that surround yourself with good people is important. Is that the or one of the core elements of success in life? It is. Uh, it, it absolutely is. I, I was told that in a training course by somebody who's my age now when I was um 25 26 and it, it, i've kept it in my head and it's always made very good sense mm. uh, i think the possibly the biggest nugget for me beyond that is um in the raf uh it's a very structured organization and you tend to believe that the people who are senior to you in rank know more than you do <laughs> yeah yeah and, and you're you're kind of uh, encouraged to believe that I, I use encouraging inverted commas there. And uh, 
it, it you, takes time. It takes time to um, think for yourself. And I think that period of time when I when I did go off into the desert and other places, uh, that was part of that restructuring that went on inside my head. Mm. And I and I've that come they to don't that they don't necessarily know more than you do. Even though <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, yeah. that 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 I didn't quite appreciate, but I I, I began to gain more self worth mm. uh, during that time. And uh, what I've discovered. Um, I'm not sure exactly when I picked this up, but what I what I've found is that nobody really knows more than you do, uh, and <laughs> the higher up the, the 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 ranks these people are, the more they are pretending. <laughs> that's and, the, and that's this, the skill set that they've learned is how to pretend that they know. That the is the skill set. Yeah, and some of them are better than others, uh, and the the problem is that these layers. They tend to believe them. They, they, they I'm, I'm generalizing. Some do and some don't. Mm. But the danger is that they be begin to believe their own publicity. Yeah. And they sort of wind up um, going up their own backside, really. Yeah. And and yeah. and this is this happens to the people at the top, and it makes them more and more useless. And I was really surprised at just how useless a lot of people who are regarded as senior leaders are. <laughs> It, it's uh, interesting you, you bring this up because it, uh, it it comes out right away in the book. I mean, we'll transition to the book now. In the first chapter, uh, TJ or John, it, it's this is your father. This is about your father, right? And it, I think they're in um, Norway on top of a mountain, and there's like a young captain or a lieutenant or something who's kind of, you know, kind of knows or act, is acting like he knows it all because he's the the CEO, the commanding officer, but, you know, there's kind of this old sergeant that really has the wisdom there or whatever. Um, so it's, it's interesting that you mentioned this in real life because it comes out in your book as well. That's cool. Uh, that was, I didn't spot that transition. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't, yeah, I didn't know if that was intentional or what, but, uh, no, no, that's good. So the, so let's talk about the book. It's dedicated to, as I mentioned, dedicated to, and is about your, your father, TJ, Thomas, John, uh, McLean. Uh, he's uh, he's referred to a lot in the beginning simply as John and later more as TJ. But let me say first, uh, seriously, the book is beautifully written. And what I mean by that is it reads like a novel, not a biography. There's very vivid imagery in the prose. It's written almost poetically or romantically in the in the Ernest Hemingway sense of romanticism, like Farewell to Arms. Um, yet at the beginning of each chapter, there is a historical setting that sets the scene as to what was happening. So, for example, at the beginning of chapter three, Hitler's invaded Poland in 1939. You get a sense of what's happening historically as you're reading about this personal story of TJ's. So um, in so doing, while while you've uh, dramatized the account of TJ's experience during World War II, it's also a story about a generation, right? Can you talk more about that, about what people might learn, not only about your father, but about the people of his generation all gathered in Europe uh, from across earth to fight this horribly violent global war. Wow. I, I'm just very happy with what you've just said. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, I, and uh, uh, me and Ernest, Ernest Hemingway in the same sentence. I, I'm going to record that. <laughs> <laughs> it's recorded. Don't worry. It's going to be made public. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm going to somehow blaze that somewhere. But that's that's a uh, he, he's one of my big heroes. I've read just about everything he's ever written because um, my father died when I was ten, 
uh, I, I all I really felt was relief. I was because it's really tough being the kid of a, an alcoholic, and not because my father beat me up or anything like that. It was never abusive inside the house. It, that wasn't his style, but uh, he would get so drunk that uh, he'd be found in the gutter and be brought home with vomit down his jacket and so on. And if you go to school uh, and the other kids know that, they can make your life pretty miserable. Yeah. Uh, and the teachers give up on you and so on. So uh, I felt relief when he died at age 10, and uh, I didn't change from that position really until I came across a photograph. And even then, uh, it took a while. But I came across a photograph when I was 15, uh, which showed him uh, showed uh, three men, one of which was a Nazi prisoner, and the other chap was a guy in a uniform I, I didn't realise was Norwegian until much later. Uh, and the the, the third guy was a British army officer. And I said to my mother, why have you got this photograph? And she said, well, that's your father. Mm-hmm. And I said, which one? Um, because it didn't look anything like the man I remembered. And it took me quite a while to to see the features uh, that were in common between the photograph and the the man I remembered. Yeah, He'd, he'd become very bloated, become gray-haired, he'd become, uh, his, his face had lost all its uh, energy. And, uh, and and so I realized I had no idea who this man was. And so I then spent 40 years, between 30 and 40 years, going out and uh, about a week, a year, roughly, talking to people who'd worked with him or knew him or he'd gone to the, I went to the places that he'd been to. And I, I, I realized that I had no idea what he'd gone through. Yeah. And I, and I, and I think for anybody born after 1945, that's true. I, I think unless you've really had a, had a good deep chat discussion with people about what they went through in the second world war. Uh, it's you have no idea. And even, and even now, even yeah. now, you know, yeah. I've written all this from the comfort of a desk. Right. These people lived it. How, how much um, literary license did you take in? I, I mean, I, I want you sort of answered some of my follow up questions that I had intended to ask, which would be, how did you even gather information about your father? He died right before your 11th birthday. Right. And yeah. how, how did you even gather this information? But you, you you mentioned in interviews and putting putting together, learning who your father was before he was the version you saw him as, as you know, in, in an alco- as an alcoholic in his later years and. How did you put the information together and how much literary lessons did you take when writing the book about his experiences? I mean, is it fiction? Does fiction and nonfiction intertwine here or is it is it purely biographical? Uh, it, it's it's creative nonfiction is what it's called. OK, um, <laughs> so. Uh, um, That's good. I kind That's... Of how, how I got the information um, it, and it, it, it the. These things just grew and grew, and sometimes I find, for example, there's a. If you go onto the TJ's War website, there's a, a newspaper clip on there. Mm. I didn't find that newspaper clip until ten years ago. Oh wow! Um, so the, the the bits came out of the woodwork all over the place. But yeah. talking to people, uh, and most of them didn't want to talk. And one of the reasons that they eventually did open up was that here was a man who, as a ten year old boy, lost his father, and he's just wanting to know who he is. I didn't go do this research for a book. Mm. I simply did the research to find out who my father was. Right. Uh, and the, uh, as I dug, I, 
there were more questions than answers most of the time. Hmm. Well, I'm, I'm um, glad, yeah. But it, I, I have to correct you on what you just said, that he became an alcoholic in his later years. No. Uh, he became an alcoholic by the time he was about 22. Oh, okay. This is what the war... I mean, What it did to him. What's coming back with a number of the reviews that we're seeing from the book and for people to get in touch with me directly is this is such a common experience mm. that the, the men who came back, the men and women who came back from Second World War and have come back from other wars since, I don't think very much has changed. Right. They, they're, they're so damaged by what they're experiencing and what they're doing, especially what they're doing, mm. um, that they need something to be able to cope with that. And for yeah. a lot of them, it's alcohol, but a lot of them, it's drugs. Uh, and the others just, they can't live with themselves and they, they go and live in the streets and then kill themselves or whatever. It, it's, we, we just don't understand the damage we're putting our, our best people yeah. to get into the army, the name of the RAF right now in the UK, and it's the same in America. You've got to be the best of the best. Yeah. So we're taking the best of our kids and, and destroying them, to, them. Yeah, it's an amount of war. We're running a little low on time. I have to ask before we do run out. Your father is quite possibly, even likely, one of the agents Ian Fleming had in mind when he wrote the James Bond character in his series of books. They, your father and Ian Fleming, operated in MI6 at the same time, often in the same arenas, including London, Anzio, Italy, and and in Bermuda, right? It, yep. In the original Ian Fleming novels, have you ever gotten a sense of what you might be reading was about your father? Um. No, not not really. But, but uh, I need to go back and read them again. Um, <laughs> I think uh, I think the closest uh, you get to it is with Skyfall, where he he reveals that uh, James Bond is a Highlander or came from the Highlands, mm. but he he has him as a um, uh, an orphan, mm. um, whereas TJ was definitely not an orphan. I, I I absolutely do not think that James Bond is based on one person. I don't but think he, so either. Right. <laughs> But Bill Bill Stevenson, who ran, uh, who was called the man, uh, the Intrepid was his code name, based in Bermuda. Th there is a very strong likelihood that he's another character who was uh, James Bond was based on. His his uh, uh, house was called Golden Eye, and uh, Ian Fleming used to stay there. And then when he uh, set up his own house in Barbados, he called that Golden Eye. So there was a direct link between those two men. Right. But Bill Stevenson did not get up to some of the, the field work that you see in James Bond and you see in, in TJ. Hmm. It's, it's fascinating. Uh, what, what do you, other than a good story, what, which it certainly is, what do you hope people gain from reading TJ's War? I mean, maybe we talked about it, about some insight into that generation, but uh, is what other life lesson is, is in there in the book? Uh, we've got to stop war. I, I I kind of jokingly say that uh, this is my attempt for world peace, but I don't understand war. I, I, I feel that war is created by the, the decisions and actions of just a handful of people around it the world. It is, yeah. But Bill and, Burr, <laughs> there, there's a comedian, an American comedian named Bill Burr, and he makes a joke. I, I, I can't do it justice, so it's not going to be funny, but he uh, he essentially says that, you know, that everybody should just stop, like, you know, all the soldiers should just stop and walk away and just go home and just let all the, you know, the crusty old rich uh, politicians, you know, uh, figure out what they're going to do when they don't have any soldiers you know, to, to 
you know, fight these wars. Completely. I, 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 I completely agree with that. Uh, yeah. I, I, I just think it's, you know, I'll put my, I'll put down my gun if you put down yours and, and, right. and, and that's the problem. Yeah. But uh, it's, it's desperately sad. So what I'd like people to take away from this is, is the madness of it all. And yeah. Yeah, at, towards the end of the book, I'm, I'm, I've got TJ going, who won? Yeah, you know, was was it the king? Was it Churchill? Because you know, I didn't win anything. Right. You know, all we've done is is killed enough people until we're we're satisfied. It's like a bloodlust. And the people who survived are damaged from, from the experience. Ian, in each episode, I try to do a, a a small like five minute segment called Five Minutes In. My question for you is this: On the TJ's War website, you say that your favorite movie is uh, Joe versus the volcano. And from that film comes the quote, my father, my father says that almost the whole world is asleep. Everybody, you know, everybody you see, everybody you talk to, he says that only a few people are awake and they live in a state of constant, total amazement. So do you live in a constant state of amazement? And if so, how do you recommend folks who aren't there yet? How do you recommend they awaken and find that sense of constant awe as well? I, I kind of do. I, I kind of do. I believe you do. I actually believe you do. Yes. <laughs> From what I know about you, I believe you do. Um, one of the things that happened in the desert was that I get up in the morning just before the sun rose mm. when I was in my tent. Mm. And uh, there are large sections of the desert which are completely flat, just sand. But overnight, the moisture lands on there as, as the air cools. It can get very cold. Mm. But as the sun hits the sand and it hits it all in one go, mm. the air, the, the moisture rises up from the sand surface like a blanket. And mm. you can actually, you might not see it immediately in front of you, you can definitely see it from about 20 feet away and from there on out, just as it rises up. It's an amazing thing. Mm. And I thought, I wonder how many people have ever noticed that. I don't know. But mm. the, the world is, is full of just amazing stuff. And if you keep asking yourself, just just how is that possible, or how did that happen? Um, I, I just there, there aren't enough hours in the day to answer these questions. Right. So it's not so much even asking or answering how it happened. It's just maybe observing that. Wow, this amazing thing is. There, there, are, so, <laughs> there are so many amazing things. My big thing are big stones, right? I've been out to Peru. I've been out to Sacsayhuaman, which is thirteen thousand foot of a mountain. There's a wall, there's there's two walls there built of blocks of stones. Some of them weigh over 100 tons. <laughs> and it's been there at least uh, 600 years because the Spanish found it when they first arrived. But there was no way that the uh, indigenous people of that time built it because they didn't have the tools or the, mm. the architecture or anything else. So it's been yeah. there for a long, long time. Yeah, You can't fit a piece of paper sideways between these stones. <laughs> and they're enormous yeah. and, and so beautifully put together. So that's Peru. Have you been to the pyramids in Egypt? No, it's on the bucket list, but no. Oh my God, you've got to go. They've I know. Got, they've got blocks of granite that can weigh up to 100 tons, and they're, they're creating the ceiling of the king's chamber, which is about 100 feet above the ground. How the hell did they do that 5,000 years ago? Yeah, I, I actually had a, a planned trip to Egypt in 98, and there had, I mean, right before I was about to go, there was this... Uh, like these tourists were gunned down. It was like a, there was oh, this yeah, 
Yeah. And uh, so I changed my plans and uh, right at the last second. But uh, anyway, I got to make it. Uh, what are you working on now? Uh, how can people buy the book? Uh, where can they find you? I know LinkedIn is probably your your primary or only social media thing. No, right? yeah, pretty much. Uh, uh, the website has a email link, and most of those emails get back to me. I do have a uh, a marketing team, uh, a marketing person hmm. uh, called Quinn, who's doing a super job, and uh, so he passes all these emails back to me and. Uh, I'm more than happy to talk to anybody and answer their questions okay. uh, or just have a chat. I, yeah. I don't know all the answers. I've, I, hope, I hope I've made that clear throughout <laughs> yeah. this interview. I've only no. got questions. Right. Even the officers don't have all the answers, even though they, <laughs> they pretend they do. But uh. All right. Well, I will link all that stuff uh, in the show notes. Uh, right. t- uh, t- sorry, just to answer that final question. Yeah. Yeah. You can, uh, TJ's War is available from Amazon, mainly okay. it's available from Amazon, right across the world. But it's important when you're searching for it to stick in the, it's TJ apostrophe S. And okay. a lot of people in TJS thinking they're going to find it and they won't. I don't, right. I'm sorry about that. But it's uh, TJ apostrophe S and then okay. war. Or if they, yeah, I think if you put in TJ's war without the apostrophe and put your name in with it, it'll come up. But, uh, but regardless, I will also link the Amazon link in the show notes so if they've listened to this wherever they're listening to it they can just go click and go buy the book right away um and i'll put tjsward.com your your blog and more info about the book uh pictures some great uh pictures too on that site uh in the show notes as well well that will do it folks go get tj's war by ian mclean go do that first it's a hell of a good read and inspiring then after you do that if you have a few bucks left over you can help out zen sandwich uh, if you want to cut out the middleman, you can go donate directly through PayPal. Uh, all you need is the show's email to do that. That's sinsamich at gmail.com. Any amounts appreciated keeps the show going ad-free. Or you can become a continual supporter at patreon.com slash Both of those options will be in the show notes as well. Uh, Ian, you're you're a fascinating chap. I, uh, I appreciate your stories, your insight, and your your time today. Uh you're very welcome, Mark. I, I, I'd like to have heard more about you. Uh, <laughs> Go listen to Zen Sandwich. I've, there's plenty about me. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All I hear about you is you asking questions. I want, I want to hear more. Who is Mark? <laughs> that's another. That's another episode for another time. I Somebody needs to interview you. <laughs> Thanks, Ian. All right. You take care. Nice to talk to you.